0: You're listening to the news on RTHK. Japan has further revised the rules for flights from Hong Kong, allowing them to land at three more destinations. The SAR government says it considers the restrictions unreasonable and has asked Tokyo to rescind all of them. Todd Harding has more details. Tokyo announced yesterday that flights from the SAR will now be permitted to land in Sapporo, Fukuoka and Okinawa, as long as none of their passengers had been on the mainland within seven days of their departure. There will also be a cap on the number of Hong Kong flights allowed to land in Japan. Airlines here, including Cathay Pacific, say they're rescheduling some of their flights to comply with the latest travel restrictions. Cathay says it's cancelling flights to Nagoya and Fukuoka from today, while HK Express will cancel 41 flights next month. Hong Kong Airlines says it will resume services to Hokkaido and Okinawa from today. Executive Council convener Regina Ip says yesterday's scrapping of many COVID rules is a step in the right direction. Close contacts of COVID patients no longer have to isolate, and a limit on outdoor gatherings has been abolished. The PCR tests for inbound travelers and the vaccine pass have also gone. Some people RTHK spoke to were disappointed that wearing a face mask is still compulsory. But Mrs. Ip says she supports mask wearing as it protects elderly people and children.
1: The government has removed all COVID control measures except the wearing of masks and RAT for five days for visitors. We are back to normal, just like other world cities. And this is what the international business community and many locals have clamored for a long time. So this is good news. But I fully support keeping masks on. Because personally, I believe um, wearing masks has protected me from uh, COVID and from flu in the past three years, particularly for older people and small children.
0: The news from RTHK. Cheers, Andrew. Yeah.
2: Well, good morning, it's Friday the 30th of December and this is James Ross with our last show in what has been somewhat of a tumultuous year in the economic and business world. In the headlines this morning, Hong Kong's exports plummeted in November by the most since 1954 as a slump in China's economy and global demand worsened. The Census and Statistics Department says overseas shipments plunged 24.1% last month from a year earlier, exports falling at 10.4% back in October. October. Uh, the European Chamber of Commerce in Hong Kong is welcoming the reduction of COVID measures here, uh, but talking to Bloomberg, the chamber's chairman Inaki Amati warns there's a long road ahead to assure international investors of Hong Kong's attractiveness. "Quote: We welcome the measures, a great step forward in the right direction, but the hard work starts now to regain the trust from the rest of the world." Australian Trade Minister Don Farrell says Canberra is prepared to withdraw two WTO cases against China if it shows goodwill in dropping its trade bans. Ahead of his anticipated visit to China in February, Farrell says the Australian government is prepared to consider withdrawing the cases on wine and barley tariffs, quote, on the basis that there's some goodwill shown on both sides. A new report in the FT reminds us that central banks are buying gold at the fastest pace since 1967, with China and Russia as big buyers. Indications are that some nations are keen to diversify reserves away from the dollar. Uh, Data from the World Gold Council shows demand has outstripped any annual amount in the past 55 years. In the third quarter alone, central banks bought almost 400 tons of gold, the largest quarterly binge since quarterly records began in 2000. (sighs) Yeah. <sighs> 2022 was tough for media stocks like Netflix and Disney, and 2023 doesn't look good either. As streaming subscriber growth fell and the advertising market weakened, Disney and Warner Brothers' uh, Discovery stocks have hit 52-week lows as both companies undergo transitions. So far this year, Warner stock down more than 60%, Disney down more than 45%, and Netflix down more than 50%, with its market cap cut in half to roughly $123 billion. Two weeks after its cinema release, James Cameron's Avatar, The Way of Water, has passed the billion dollar mark at the global box office. But sluggish sales so far in China could affect the the film's final result. $712 million of the $1 billion comes from international markets, and reaching the billion dollar milestone at this point places the film amongst the top five fastest movies to reach that target. And South Korea's chip production fell last month by the most since the global financial crisis, underlining an industry downturn as chip makers struggle to sell inventory and inflation reduces demand for electronics. Chip output was down for the fourth month in a row, down 15% in November from a year earlier, its biggest drop since 2009. Well, we'll be joined on the show today by Andrew Ferris, CEO of eCognosis Advisory, and Marcel Fanares, president of Fines Media, a consultancy operating within the entertainment and media ecosystem. With a view from South Korea is Peter Kim, Managing Director and Investment Strategist at KB Securities. And don't forget, if you have any questions for our guests, you can email us at moneytalk at rthk.hk, text us on 63935925. Our Facebook page is money talk on RTHK Radio 3 and on Twitter we're at Money Talk Radio 3 money talk on RTHK Radio. Well, let's take a quick look at the markets, starting on Wall Street, where stocks bounced overnight as markets attempted a last-minute rally after gloomy trading sessions this week. The Dow closing 1.1% up at 33,220, the S&P 500 up 1.8% to 3,849, and the Nasdaq up 2.6% at 10,478. This came as investors digested higher-than-anticipated jobless claims data, suggesting the U.S. economy could be cooling. Initial jobless claims for the week before Christmas rose to 225,000 and continuing unemployment claims for the previous week uh, also picked up. Uh, Tech stocks rebounded though, Apple up 2.8%, Meta up 4%, Uh, Google's parent Alphabet gaining 2.9%. Uh, European shares closed higher, with tech stocks leading the gains after that U.S. jobless data eased concerns about the Fed's aggressive tightening cycle. Uh, The Europe stock 600 rose 0.7%. For the year so far, it's fallen nearly 12% as investors head into 2023 in a wary mood. The FTSE 100 uh, up two-tenths of 1%, uh, Germany's DAX up 1% and France's CAC 40 also up 1%. Uh, Hong Kong stocks closed lower on Thursday, tracking losses across the region uh, with markets impacted by a COVID surge in China, darkening investor outlook. The Hang Seng dropping 0.8% to 19,741. Uh, meanwhile, the Shanghai Composite down 0.4% to 3,073 and the Shenzhen Composite uh, falling 0.3% to 1,968. The Nikkei 2.25 falling to a three-month low as the rise in coronavirus cases in China dampened. Investors hopes that the relaxation will lift the global economy. The index closed down 1% at 26,093, its lowest close since September the 30th. In the commodities markets, Brent crude currently trading down 1.2% at $82.26 a barrel, a copper down half a percent at $382.40 a pound, spot gold standing at 1,814.95 an ounce. In the bond market, the U.S. 10-year bond currently showing a yield of 3.81%. And in currencies, the euro buying $1.06, the U.S. dollar uh, standing at 133 Japanese yen. The pound currently buying 9.39 Hong Kong dollars, the yuan standing at 6.96 against the U.S. dollar, and Bitcoin currently at 16,618 U.S. dollars. Looking at the ASX 200, currently in Sydney, it is up six tenths of one percent at seven thousand and sixty-one. Moving to our guests for this morning, and I'd like to uh, say good morning and welcome to Andrew Ferris, uh, CEO of Ecognosis Advisory. Uh, good morning, Andrew. How are you?
3: Very well indeed. Delighted to be here.
2: And we'll be joining in a moment Marcel for president of Fénez Media as well. Andrew, let's, let's start with a little bit of a look back, shall we? I mean, what have been the highlights or perhaps lowlights of 2022 for you? Um, you know, it's been, as I said at the beginning of the show, quite a tumultuous year in, uh, in our world, hasn't
3: it? Well, the 22 started with the expectations that uh, interest rates would be coming down. And of course, it was bluntly interrupted by the Ukrainian war that produced a spurt on inflation that was already there, particularly in the United States, then it produced a crisis of energy in Europe. And from then on, it simply got worse. And of course, at the same time, now let's not forget that in March 22, we had a huge spurt of inf- infections of uh, of COVID. So the beginning of the year was a mess. And then it simply got worse. And it got worse with uh, China sticking uh, to a zero COVID and therefore decelerating its own rate of growth and dragging Hong Kong along. And inflation, at least in the G4 countries, didn't seem to vary significantly and at the same time, Two of the G4 countries, China and Japan, had completely different policies. People tend to forget that Japan was actually lowering and keeping zero interest rates and so did the People's Bank of China in China, at the same time when the Americans were hacking up by 75 bits at a time. So in other words, half the developed world in inverted commas was on a tight monetary policy and the half the world wasn't, so much for global uh, coincidence of, of trends. I mean, it was really very puzzling for everybody. It doesn't I show. Loved what it, doesn't,
2: the Japanese it, did. it doesn't show any sign of changing either, does it? Um, you know, it doesn't look like absolutely not.
3: The Japanese are now having nearly three percent interest rates, and they were gunning for two, and they say that next year is going to be down, and in, in other words, in twenty three, is going to be down back again to below two, and they are sticking with a with a soft monetary policy, and of course, China more than ever is going to have now the softest policy policy possible. Because, of course, they have to disentangle themselves. Oh, God, from the mess they got themselves into.
2: Well, of course, you know, with the um, restrictions on um, the COVID restrictions being lifted, that's uh, given us another element on uh, international trade and economy, hasn't it?
3: Well, it does. But, uh, you know, it's the the, the the old curse. May God give you what you wish for. Because, of course, we are now having the paroxysmically surreal event of Hong Kong looking very carefully in opening its frontier with China because, of course, China now is a huge tsunami of infections. <laughs> you know, after all these years at begging for the Chinese to come in, now we're saying, well, we're going to begin to give uh, a limited amount of, uh, of permits uh, for across the border or we're going to do it slowly. And, of course, other countries are now not permitting flights from China. I was going to say hilarious it's not hilarious it is very it's very sad uh, because uh, uh, there is politics involved and also politics involved in fighting nature and that's no never a very good idea
2: and it, you know it's not looking particularly good this past quarter for um Hong Kong's exports uh, plummeting by the most since 1954 that's not that's not a good vibe well, is it uh,
3: yeah this but this is not really surprising and i give Two separate examples. Uh, I, I, my answer seems to be it seems to be going to a different direction, but it isn't. Seventy five percent of Hong Kong tourism is Chinese tourism. Okay, unless this recovers, forget about uh, tourism recovering in Hong Kong. In other words, the other twenty five percent really is not going to recover yet. Okay, because of the concerns that Hong Kong now is a pool of infection. You know, why should the hell should I come and have spend my holidays in Hong Kong if I'm likely to get COVID here? let alone, of course, if more and more Chinese are allowed to come in. So tourism in Hong Kong is not going to recover. And therefore, another aspect of that, which is the fact that the majority of Hong Kong's trade are re-exports and primarily re-exports from China, that's not going to recover either, because A, of the global overall downturn, and of course the fact that a huge question mark of how China is going to react now that it doesn't have all the restrictions that used to slow it down, used to slow it down, all the restrictions are going. Let's see how this, this works out.
2: <laughs> well, thank you very much, Andrew. Let's bring in uh, Marcel Fenez, uh, president of uh, Fenez Media. Uh, Marcel, thanks for joining us this morning. Are we hearing Marcel at the moment? Don't think we've got Marcel for some reason. Um, not sure why that is. Uh, do we have Marcel? Seems like we don't. Okay. Um, Andrew, are you still with us?
3: Very much so. And remember, if you're having problems having Marcel, I'm speaking to you from Uruguay. Ah, Get get this under your hat. I'm literally on the Antipodes from Hong Kong.
2: Yeah, well, there must be quite something to be in Uruguay. And what is the mood about the international economy in Uruguay?
3: Uh, Well, the mood with the international economy is still, and here is another delicious contradiction. The Uruguayan peso has been massively strong right through this year. I'll say that slowly. As the U.S. dollar strengthened, and remember, this is supposed to be Latin America, uh, also the same thing has happened to a great extent with the real, not anymore the Brazilian real. They actually strengthened. And they strengthened because Uruguay is in its own small way a major exporter of soybeans, of meat, of wheat, of, uh, of, uh, of corn, and of course, they're doing great.
2: Now, let's see whether we can cross to Marcel again. Marcella, uh, are you with us now? No, we've still not got Marcel, unfortunately. Um, uh, we'll press on, um, yeah, Andrew, I, You know, what do you, what do you see as uh, the, um, looking forward to 2023, how do you see the markets progressing in the next 12 months? Well, where, where will we be I'm, this I'm time next year? Yeah,
3: I'm, spl- I'm splitting it up in three major parts. First, I don't expect that we're going to see interest rates peaking before the second quarter, so I leave that aside. In other words, the Fed may very well hit us again with two seventy-fives. most definitely the European Union may very well do so, number one. Number two, the pressures on the energy market are not going to abate in the sense that the Russians seems to be coping fairly well with the restrictions on uh, their output and on their, on their markets. It's very difficult to substitute very quickly Russian gas, as we still know. We still have the rest of the winter in front of us. So as far as inflationary pressures coming out of energy and as far as energy prices is concerned, we're not going to be happy uh, bears here again for possibly the first half of next year. And of course, the huge question now is is how China is going to cope with the newly found freedom. Because China is a very important part of, uh, of the world economy and of course in a major export hub. Of the kinds of things again that uh, everybody else uses in terms of starting from Christmas ornaments you know, all the way to the relatively uh, the less expensive, less or less expensive, uh, uh, mechanized uh, or mechanical products, and of course everything has to do with clothware and shoes and apparel. So China is very important in a lot of different ways as mm-hmm. far as the inflation pressures in the world is concerned and what it's going to do next is hugely interesting
2: so let's uh let's see what uh, is happening in china in terms of the entertainment world i think we can join uh, marcel fanez now marcel thanks very much for joining us good morning
4: yeah good morning i enjoyed listening to andrew there so uh sorry <laughs> for sorry for the silence <laughs>
2: not at all um you know, you all focus very much on uh, the advertising and marketing and branding and entertainment yeah. world. And you know, we were he- hearing earlier on that, um, you know, the mo- movies are not doing so well at the moment in, in China. And in fact, you know, there's some, some doubt uh, over Avatar, the uh, way of water, as to whether it will succeed there. H- how are you seeing the, uh, the business world of entertainment in China?
4: Well, I think, um, I mean, look, we, whatever what Andrew was talking about there has kind of put a dampen on what I was about to say, uh, which was probably the fact that I was looking forward to 2023 and I was looking forward to increased consumer engagement, uh, you know, increased brand spend um, and all of that. So I think it remains to be seen what happens in the next month or six weeks. But I think we need to look beyond that and we need to look at the fact that there is pent-up Uh, demand Uh, people haven't spent money and been able to spend money and I think a lot of that pent-up demand will go on entertainment and it will go on brands be those luxury brands or others so yeah I I mean we need to see how the next couple of months are going to play out but we will get beyond it Um, and I think we will enter a a world once we've got beyond it where consumers are really willing to spend and are itching to spend and that's going to be big good For brands, good for marketing, and ultimately good for media, which is powered by. Brian spent.
2: It doesn't look good at the moment, does it? For no. for Netflix and Disney and um, you know Warner Brothers Discovery, uh, the value of their stocks uh, plunging, and uh, you know market cap of Netflix down um, cut in half. Um, that that's not that's not a good indication that the people are um, throwing money
4: yet back into the into the entertainment, is it? No, yeah, and well, I think it's also a reflection of the the view of the markets of those stocks, and you know one perhaps could have argued that. Um, they were potentially overvalued in the past, and there's actually a greater de- degree of realism about how these companies make money, and indeed will they make money? Uh, certainly, in the case we've obviously seen during COVID, you know people spend on subscriptions to different types of services. Well, they're beginning to go outside again you know, they're beginning to attend live events, so we will see a shift. And I think that's why media companies have always looked at diversifying their different revenue streams, right? So, uh, and Disney, to be honest with you, is, is still one of the best examples because across its portfolio, uh, you know, it can monetize whether it's through its theme parks, through its streaming services. And I, I think that, you know, media companies will, will always have to pivot around either changes in the economy, changes in consumer behavior uh, and that's one of the joys of or one of the one of the things that we all have to deal with is is how to pivot. Uh, to reflect and to respond to what's happening. I mean, Disney's been going through a bit of a,
2: a change in, in, in several ways, hasn't it? It's uh, obviously you know been, been over the last two or three years, changing from uh, a focus on cinema releases to uh, online streaming, but it's also just had another restructuring at the top uh, with Bob Iger coming back in, yeah. in charge of the organisation, um, having been away for a couple of years. Um, their, their business is under a bit of stress, right?
4: Oh, definitely. Um, But, you know, I still go back to the fact that a company like Disney is built on extremely uh, profitable franchises. You know, they've always focused on the value of their content. Um, Yes, there will be ups and downs in different parts of their business, but at their core, they are still producing blockbuster, you know, kick-ass content that people like to see and consume in different ways. Management changes will always happen. Transformation is ongoing. And, you know that that results in change but we've seen it james over the many years and uh, i don't think it's uh, you know change is a constant right but uh, so you're positive for 2023 as you said yeah. a moment ago look i think um and i think yes in in one word uh, you know certainly when i've been talking to marketers and and um brands in the end of towards the end of this year you know they are setting aside budgets for 2023 and they are increasing those budgets uh, which is a good sign. It doesn't mean they're going to spend those budgets yet, uh, but I think that certainly in the context of Hong Kong, uh, uh, many brands are looking to uh, to you know uh, launch new campaigns and to spend uh, t- in support of those. So, yes, but I think we're also going to see, I mean, there's many trends in marketing uh, that I think over the last 12 months have been interesting. We- we're all learning more and more about how brands can use you know, NFTs can operate in the metaverse. And I think the fact that we're, we hopefully will see a great deal of experimentation in 2023 and perhaps a move away from just sort of reliance on big tech. Uh, great. Thanks for that,
2: Marcel. Let's bring in uh, Peter Kim, who is managing director and investment strategist at uh, KB Securities uh, in South Korea. Uh, Peter, good morning.
1: Happy New
2: Year, James. Um, Yes, Happy New Year to you as well. Uh, You know, I guess uh, for South Korea, uh, you know, things have been uh, um, um, playing out in an interesting way this year. And I know that trade relations continue to be a uh, continuing issue with China, shall we say, and most particularly over the impasse over the South Korean deployment of the US FAD missile defence system. Um, You know, that's that's been a, a big impact this year. Can you explain a bit more what that means and what that, how that, as affected trade between the two countries
1: um, winding back uh, 2016 uh, US had uh, pressured the South Korean government to put this missiles in uh, as a means to uh, provide some protection against the uh, North Korean uh, 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 possible attack uh, China took it uh, very uh, uh, personally uh, they felt that he was uh, uh, partially, if not entirely, directed at mainland rather than North Korea. And therefore, uh, South Korea uh, uh, saw the very, very early uh, trade embargoes, very silent ones from China, uh, even before uh, China uh, started applying trade pressures on the other countries.
2: So looking forward, how do you think um, things are going to play out in the next few months between Korea and China? Is it, is it looking a little bit more optimistic
4: yet?
1: I think uh, Seth, uh, China overall seems to have softened its uh, foreign diplomatic stance uh, to uh, uh, most countries, so South Korea has benefited uh, from that, uh, but I think more specifically South Korea is geopolitically very very important uh, nation, obviously uh, surrounded by North Korea, China, Japan, and even a little bit of uh, 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 Russia uh, uh, if you stretch it that far north. Um, I think uh, going into next year, uh, if the, uh, the uh, softer stance from China continues, South Korea could be the, one of the more uh, beneficial uh, 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 nations. And I think uh, South Korea, with a new president who has been openly uh, pro US, has also uh, softened its stance on that. So um, I do expect the uh, South Korean market and the economy to benefit. Uh, uh, from a very low base from next year.
2: So you're feeling optimistic for 2023 for South Korean investors?
1: Well, investment's all about relative, right? (laughs) Uh, And uh, given how negative everyone is, uh, one has to start to uh, try to look at the glass half full rather than half empty. Uh, And I think South Korea this year has been one of the uh, worst performing markets in Asia, uh, both on a currency and underlying stock market. Uh, and I do think that there are a number of positives that we can look forward
2: to. Well, we look forward with interest to seeing how that plays out uh, in the next 12 months. Uh, Peter Kim, uh, on the line from uh, Seoul, Managing Director and Investment Strategist at KB Securities. Uh, let's say also thank you to Andrew Ferris, CEO of Ecognosis Advisory, joining us from Uruguay. And also to Marcel Fines, a President of fenez Media, uh, telling us about some of the stories. and. Uh challenges in the entertainment world. Just before we go, let's have a quick look at the Nikkei 225, currently 26,217, up half a percent. The ASX 200 in Sydney, also up half a percent at 7,054. Fine and dry, rather cool this morning, the maximum temperature around 19 degrees during the day. Moderate northerly winds, uh, fresh offshore, Uh, the outlook fine and dry with rather cool mornings uh, for the rest of the week and weekends. Uh, Currently 13 Celsius, 67% relative humidity uh um andrew work will be uh, with you on tuesday morning for money talk i will see you tomorrow night at ten past six for the greatest hits of music and uh back chat and the best of back chat is up in a moment now it's 8 30 and with the news headlines here's andrew
0: thank you james pele arguably the world's greatest ever footballer has died in brazil at the age of 82 his death was announced by one of his daughters who'd been with him in hospital in sao paulo Sports broadcaster and former England footballer Gary Lineker says Pele's legacy is guaranteed.
2: Well, he is, of course, regarded as a legend, but he actually is a legend, certainly in football terms. He won three World Cups and was a major figure in doing those, one of the greatest players of all time. won his first World Cup in 1958 when he was just 17 years old and scored a hat-trick in the semi-final and then two in the final, including one where he flicks it over his head, over a defender and volleys it into the back of the net. He followed that up with success in 62 and then again in 70, the only player to win three World Cups. So I think it's very easy to explain why he's a legend.
0: Tributes to Pelé have been pouring in from around the world. Brazil's president-elect, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, said there had never been a player like him. The top Brazilian star of today, Neymar, said... Before Pele, 10 was just a number and football only a sport, and he had changed it all. The French star Kylian Mbappe said his legacy would never be forgotten. The former German World Cup winner Franz Beckenbauer said football had lost the greatest player in history. Pele's official biographer is Harry Harris.
3: He played in an era where the referees gave him no protection whatsoever. You've only got to look at the footage when he played at Goodison Park against Italy in the 66 World Cup when England won the World Cup. He was hacked to absolute oblivion until they actually had to carry him off the pitch. He also played on pitches that were abysmal and the balls were heavy, not like they are today. He scored 1,000 goals then. He could have scored 2,000 in this era.
0: Pelle's funeral will be held on Monday at the Santos Football Club ground. Thousands of people have begun arriving in the area to pay their respects to their hero. The most hardline government in Israel's history has been sworn in. The Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu insists he will promote tolerance and peace, but the coalition has stirred unease, as the BBC's Yolanda Nell reports from Jerusalem. <laughs>
3: A crowd of hundreds gathered outside the parliament, holding up Israeli flags, rainbow flags and signs reading shame and danger. Some protesters voiced fears about the new coalition setting West Bank settlement expansion as a top priority, warning this could increase tensions with the Palestinians with Benjamin Netanyahu still on trial for corruption, which he denies. Others condemned plans to overhaul the legal system. There's also concern about plans to change anti-discrimination laws so that businesses could refuse to serve people because of their religious beliefs.
0: The Vatican says the former Pope Benedict XVI remains seriously ill, but in a stable condition. The BBC's Bethany Bell in Rome has more details.
4: The Vatican Statement said that Benedict was lucid and alert and had rested well during the night. It said Pope Francis renewed his invitation for people to pray for Benedict in these difficult hours. A conservative upholder of traditional Catholic doctrines, Benedict became Pope in 2005. He presided over the church as it confronted the scandal of sexual abuse by priests around the world. He retired in 2013, becoming the first pope to step down in nearly 600 years.
0: The European Union's Disease Prevention Agency has said the screening of travelers from China for COVID would be unjustified. It follows an appeal from Italy for the rest of the EU to follow its lead and ensure Chinese arrivals are tested and quarantined if necessary. Several countries, including the US, India and Japan, have imposed new restrictions on Chinese arrivals. EU ministers are still considering how to respond. But the European Center for Disease Prevention and Control said the COVID surge was not expected to have much impact in the bloc. The British fashion designer Vivian Westwood has died at the age of 81. As the person who dressed the sex pistols, she was synonymous with 1970s punk rock, a rebelliousness that remained the hallmark of an unapologetically political designer who became one of Britain's fashion's biggest names. Climate change, pollution, and her support for WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange were all fodder for Vivian Westwood protest t-shirts or banners carried by her models on